You're tuning in to the Black Hollywood Live Network, featuring news, interviews, and commentary on all things Black Hollywood. Hollywood redefined. From Los Angeles, California, presented by Maria Menounos and streaming live thanks to Akamai Technologies. This is Black Hollywood Live. Justice is served. Featuring the week's roundup and commentary on legal news. Black Hollywood Live. Hollywood redefined. You're listening to Black Hollywood Live. And now, the host for Black Hollywood Live, Justice is served. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Justice is Served. This is the show where we give you all of the latest in legal news. I am joined uh, this week by my lovely co-host, Lonnie mm-hmm. Coombs, and a special guest co-host this week joining us for the entire panel of stories. Lauren Lake is in studio. Lauren is the host of Paternity Court. She's also an entertainment and family law lawyer, and Lauren and I'm very happy to have you here to discuss the stories this week. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So, uh, Lauren, I specifically want to get your perspective on uh, a story that has really rocked the headlines, especially in Los Angeles this week, but really around the nation. Uh, Donald Sterling and the allegations of racial discrimination, the terrible things he was recorded as saying, uh, and especially the legal implications of what that could mean for the L.A. Clippers. Uh, I call this segment the past, present, and future of Donald Sterling in court. This is a man who uh, who is not... Uh, he, he's very used to lawsuits. And yes. so uh, we've seen this in the past. We've seen racial discrimination lawsuits in the past. We've seen him say terrible things about minorities in lawsuits in the past. And... Um, also what he could use in the future as his arsenal to kind of prevent a forced sale of the Clippers if that comes down. So, Lauren, first I want to ask you about the lawsuit that kind of, in my opinion, brought all of this to the forefront. Donald Sterling's wife, Rochelle, sued V. Stiviano. I'm not, what are you guys calling her? Uh, she says she's not a girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. Yes. She just gets lots of gifts. <laughs> and she's uh, an archivist. Whatever exactly, she's archiving, I'm exactly. not sure. But. So, yes, uh, a fixture at his business. I don't know. I've never seen an employment ad for fixture. So I don't, I don't know exactly who she is or what she does. I just know she gets a lot of gifts. And, and the wife wants to sue her because she's saying, a lot of these gifts were bought with my community property, baby, so I want it back. So this it's very complex. Um, and we're not really getting the real information as to who this girl is, why so many gifts, what was her role, was she truly empo- employed, was she on salary? I, I, I need more details. Uh, well, the details that Rochelle claims, <laughs> this Vistaviano, Vanessa Maria Perez, whatever her name is, uh, she claims that she's a seductress who targets wealthy older men. Hmm. And would those be wealthy, willing older men? You know, that's, <laughs> and this is the problem here, because it seemed to be a relationship that was mutual. They're sitting at a basketball game. All the pictures we see as we look at the media coverage of this, they're sitting out in the public together. So, I mean, this has to be something that he agreed to, whatever this relationship was. And so the lawsuit seems to skew this as if this woman was some type of, you know, vixen that was going after this man for the purposes of causing this type of situation. And I don't know. I, I, I really don't see it that way. As much as I'm not a Stiviano fan, 
I don't really see it that way. Well, I, uh, yeah, and Donald has a very interesting view of these types of relationships. He had an affair in the past, yes. and once he got tired of that, he sued her for all of the gifts he'd given her during the relationship. Now we have this other relationship with V, whatever you want to call it. They have it for a number of years. She gets a number of gifts again, and then at some point, the wife is stepping in and saying, okay, that's enough. I'm going to sue you again for all of the gifts. Bam. <laughs> yeah, and, so you and, better and, watch out for that when if you're going to go into a relationship with Donald Sterling. And when we are then discussing schemes and plans of the supposed mistress, let's talk about the schemes and plans of the couple in the sense mm-hmm. that, all right, we have these young girls, they serve their purpose. Right. When it's done, we intimidate you, mm-hmm. we bully you mm-hmm. right out of whatever positioning we've played, you know, I've placed you in for my convenience, then I can bully you out of that position by yeah. starting a lawsuit that you won't be able to afford to fight. Yeah. Okay, well, now my question is, because Rochelle is bullying her into a lawsuit, and I want to give the details of the lawsuit, she is suing uh, for the return of a duplex by the Beverly Center, uh, a Ferrari, two Bentleys, and a Range Rover, all of which she said that her husband bought for this woman without her permission. She thought her name was going to be on the duplex, Rochelle. Instead, it's her name is not on it. And so that's where this suit comes from. The question I have for you is you said that you think that the lawsuit is a way to bully her. Do you think that she knew that dropping this bombshell of this tape recording would give her an upper hand or she was so pissed off by this lawsuit and by the audacity of this woman to sue her that her and her attorney said hmm i wonder if there's anything that i have on him that could you know drum up some trouble for him hell have no fury <laughs> like a woman scorn listen this girl may not have an ethical moral standing in the world, meaning if she was a mistress, if she was in a position where even if she was using this old rich guy for his money, but once you're going to try to sue me and place me in a position where I may be liable for something that, look, in her mind, and I'm sure in her attorney's mind, these were gifts, Mm -hmm. then you know what? I've got to use whatever power I have, and whether it's right or wrong, it's real. And yes, I believe that's exactly what's happening here. This, to me, was not an accident. Yeah. Although we, we do have to clarify, she has said publicly, and her attorney has said that she did not have anything to do with releasing them, that she didn't want them released. It- just have to put that out. Yes, so that is we her do position. have to say that. However, yes. it can still, it's still just not an accident, <laughs> right, in right. my opinion. So now somebody intentionally did it. Yeah, now that they're saying, oh, we didn't leak it, who did? Exactly. Who would do it besides either she or someone surrounding her? She is definitely the one who recorded them. She says she did. There's a question whether he knew that the recordings were taking place or not. She says he did, which gets around the fact that it's illegal in California for you to record something without the other person's knowledge. But who who, who says, okay, what do you want to do today? Go to lunch and then... Let's record me making some yeah. really racist statements. Yeah. That is not a good date. No. I, <laughs> who's, who, who agrees to that? Yeah. I, mean, I find that hard to believe that he did agree to these recordings, and I got to okay. keep it real on that. No. Note. And her story is look, he's getting older. He was forgetting things. He asked me to record the, to call, you know, our phone calls. So it might have been for a number of years. She says there's another hundred hours of recording. So this might have oh, been geez. gone on so long that he <laughs> forgot he was being recorded. Who knows? You know, or maybe. This Why is the kind is, of, I'm or maybe this older, is, honey, I need you to record our phone call so you yeah, can play them back to me. Yeah, well, I know. I mean, what's going on in the phone call? You got to come up who, with something better knows? than that.
He is apparently now, uh, he's been diagnosed with cancer, so maybe he does feel that (laughs) having these tapes was some sort of posterity that he wanted to play back on his deathbed. (laughs) uh, I do find it interesting, though, that he did say to the NBA, that is my voice. Other than that, he has said nothing. Yes. He has not said, I allowed the recordings. He hasn't said, I'm sorry. He hasn't said, and then you know, no apology, no nothing. In the beginning, it was intimated or even uh, uh, asserted that they weren't sure if they were you know, taken out of context or in some way corrupted or right. clipped or edited. Right. I haven't heard more on that either. No, no. That just... That dropped. Just, yeah, it just completely yes. dropped. Now... If that was the fact, they've had plenty of time to play and replay those recordings. If that was a valid assertion, wouldn't we hear more about that right now? Yeah. Like, they edited this to make it sound like I was saying this, but nothing. There's also allegations that he did call her last Sunday and said, okay, what do we need to do to make this go away, to make this end? So you're not hearing all of the denials. Like you would think you would hear that that's not me or that's edited or anything like that. It's just kind of like he's moving on with this and trying to stop the recordings. Well, here's the thing. It's not like Donald Sterling is a shy person who's meek and one to stand in the corner right. and not say anything. So the fact that he hasn't said anything mm-hmm. in my mind means that he has been in a war room with his attorneys all week long preparing for the silent kill of what he is going to do next mm-hmm. because he is not going to sit idly by as the Clippers get forcefully taken from him right. and there is a forced sale. So I want to mm-hmm. ask the two of you about uh, different possible legal strategies that he could be looking into to prevent a forced sale of the Clippers if it comes down. Two options that I've read about so far. Uh, one, one, Lauren, I want to ask you about this specifically because this is family law. We could see something like the McCourts and the Dodgers. He could file for divorce from his wife, thus prolonging any sale of the Clippers because that's going to be such a dispute that the jurisdiction of the Clippers would be in family court. Mm -hmm. And it's going to tie it up just as we saw that lengthy, prolonged, dirty, dramatic divorce between the McCourts who uh, owned the L.A. Dodgers. And kudos to the NBA for, you know, giving the impression or even having the intention that they are going to try to act swiftly. Mm-hmm. But you better believe me, buddy. I mean, <laughs> swiftly and justice are like oxymorons. Yeah. Let's be honest. I mean, that it just doesn't happen. And yes, I do believe that he will um, implement any and every stop he can to ensure that He gets to keep that team because this is going to be his way to say, yeah, you can embarrass me publicly. You can proclaim that that is your intention to take this team, but I am not going out without a fight. Mm -hmm. I I don't doubt it. Yeah. And now, Lonnie, the other route that he could be considering besides uh, divorcing his wife and thus prolonging a sale would be seeking an injunction mm-hmm. to stop a sale. Mm-hmm. Uh, the grounds for the injunction, he could claim it's an antitrust violation and say the NBA is trying to undermine the value of the franchise and injure the competitive process of the league. The yeah. problems with that is it's it's just him. It's not like it's an unfair competition 
overall, yeah. this is just a singular person. Well, yeah. You know, the interesting thing is this is all based on the NBA Constitution, which is this vague document that nobody's really seen except perhaps the people that belong to this club, those owners. And the people who have seen the document say that even so, when you read the wording, it's vague, it's hard to interpret. So you know that Donald Sterling and his attorneys are going to be ripping apart that Constitution and going to court on every single word, every single sentence of that. You know, the fact that they say they can just automatically take that that um, team away from them, that remains to be seen exactly how that happens. Even as a lawyer, honestly, when they said that, I said, oh, that's good. But how? Exactly. You know, that's exactly right. Yeah. Like, that's good. Yeah. How? I know. And they're saying that there's a clause in there that when you join this, you know, group of people, that you sign it and yet you say that whatever the commissioner says is going to be final and binding, essentially like an arbitration ruling. And so a judge coming in will say, okay, we're going to go along with that. You signed it. But this is a huge thing. And you know, he's going to stand up and say to all the other owners, hey, look. This is something I said in my private life. Do any of you owners have anything in your private life that you don't want to come out? And this is a slippery slope. You're all going to be on the line for this in the future if you sign and say, yeah, we want you to lose your your team. So it's it, going to be a sticky situation and a long time in court knowing Donald Sterling. Definitely. And yes. also you mentioned, you know, the owners, they are in a difficult position in my mind because you know, Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner, is looking like a hero right now because he's come on strong, lifetime ban, $2.5 million fine. And the owners want to come out strong because the public is so angry about this story. But like you said, are they going to be kicking themselves down the line if, you know, they set a precedent that it's this easy to force a sale? Well, you know... I don't think they really have any choice. The statements were so disgusting. You know, it's kind of like... It's time to do a spring cleaning. You better Mm -hmm. get to cleaning out those skeletons in your closet. You better Mm -hmm. tighten up your game. If these are private conversations you've been having or think you're going to be allowed to have, you're on notice now. And, you know, I really don't think they can, in terms of the goodwill of the NBA and just keeping the support, not only that, but the advertisers pulling out. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are dollars behind this situation that are going to be lost. They've got to stand for something. Well, and the players. The players are making it very clear. We're not going to play for you if you don't support this. LeBron James says this is the time we put the money, you know, whatever it takes to make this happen and to make it happen swiftly. Mark Cuban was the only owner that spoke out and said, hey, wait a minute, just to take, let's take a pause here and think about it. But he's quickly gone in line, too. So right now, all the owners that have spoken out have said, we're supporting this. I think they're wanting to make a very united stand and making sure, getting their ducks in a row before they actually take the vote that it's unanimous. Um, but we'll see if that happens. It's supposed to happen next week. You want to know what the sad fact of this is? Is if there is a for sale... This man bought the team for $12 million. Mm -hmm. Guess how much richer he's going to be, even if they take this team from him. This grand punishment of Donald Sterling will serve to make him $700 million richer. There's, some of them are estimating a billion dollars. I mean, that value just keeps going up and up and up as we speak. Yep. So uh, Because Oprah, David Geffen, everyone's yep. getting in line to buy the Clippers. So it is a punishment, but yep. not really. Yeah. Well, you know... It, Exactly. If you look at the monetary, you know, side of this, of course, no. But the humiliation, I'm sorry. And look, when you're dealing with a man that, you know, is quite powerful, let's just be frank. Um, And I think there is a just an issue that kind of having him own these statements for me is a priceless 
serving serving of justice. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think there is a seven hundred a million dollar. I mean, once you have that many millions, seven hundred more million yeah. on the team. Okay, great. Look. At the end of the day, it's going to my kids, it's going to my family. But the fact that he's had to own these statements, the fact that now this is public, I think that's priceless. And I don't, I, you know, when people tell me, okay, he's going to be rich anyway if he outsells the team, who cares? He's rich now. Mm-hmm. I don't want him to own the team anymore. But here's the thing, because you said, you know, th- these statements are public. Now people know who he is. Are people blind? Donald Sterling has been like this for so long. Well, yeah, and, but yeah. the problem is, is no, the, pop, the, the, the United States of America, look, around the workings of Los Angeles, when this story came out, a lot of people were saying, hey, I'm not surprised. This has been going yeah, for years. Yeah, not surprised. But on a national and international level, no, this is news. This, this, a, a lot of people did not know, quite frankly, this man has been buying his way out of, you know, racially discriminatory practices for years, Mm -hmm. you know, and look, behind closed doors, being excited about, you know, a plantation style, you know, run style organization. And, you know, in some ways, he's getting the type of, you know, public uh, treatment that we unfortunately had to watch Paula Dean endure when some Mm -hmm. little statements of Mm -hmm. hers came public about her desire to have a slave uh, themed wedding. Mm -hmm. You know, come on, man. No. Here's the difference, though, and I don't want to jump ahead to what we'll be talking about in Tipping the Scales. Here's the difference in my mind between Paula Dean and Donald Sterling. Paula Dean made those statements on the record in a deposition. Donald Sterling made these statements in a private conversation that he did not know or allegedly did not know was being recorded. That's well, the difference. We will talk about that. Yeah. In, here's yes, another difference, I think. <laughs> yeah, here's another difference, too, though. I think Paula Dean, once it came out, she did express remorse. She does feel bad about it. She does care about what people think. I don't think Donald Sterling, and here's the sad part, I don't think he cares. I don't think he cares how many people hate him. I don't think he cares if people think he's racist. He's like, yeah, okay, so what? I've got so many millions of dollars, billions of dollars that surrounds me. You know, I mean, that's really the attitude he's always had. I don't see that changing now that he's 80 plus years. I don't think he's changing at this point in his life. So I want to move into on the docket, but before I do, you mentioned some of the former past uh, lawsuits involving Donald Sterling and some statements in particular. And I, and I want to read these and get your opinions on this. One is, uh, the former general manager of the Clippers filed a wrongful termination lawsuit where he said that Sterling, um, wouldn't let him negotiate player salaries and had a vision of a quote, southern plantation type structure for the team. According to the complaint, he said that he, quote, wanted the Clippers team to be composed of poor black boys from the South and a white head coach. Hello. And he, that is disgusting. Mm-hmm. And you know what's even more disgusting is that you actually felt like you could say that to someone. Mm-hmm. That's that's scary. Mm-hmm. You know, this is my dream. And these this is the account of your dream. And, you know, you look at those young men. I've been, you know, watching so much of the coverage and I see these young men and, you know, I watch them get out on the court and go out and play. Look, not for Donald Sterling, you know, for their yeah. families. Right. And, and, for you the know, fans. Their, their yeah. dreams, their fans, everything they've worked for their whole lives. And it, it's sad. It's sad that 
a man can sit as an owner of a team mm-hmm. and literally, after all these young men have accomplished, many of them overcoming obstacles like none of us have faced to be in the position they're in. And you can say, I want young, poor black boys. Like, you know, at the end of the day, to Donald Sterling, you're still just a young, poor black boy on my plantation. It, it, it is it's sickening. And that's why this thing with Donald Sterling, it's not just the tapes. It's not just the statements he made on the phone. He acted on that. Yes. He, that's the way he lived his life. That's what, that was informed his business practice. So it's more than just, oh, he made a few, you know, comments to his girlfriend privately. No, that's the way he was. That's the way he lived. That's the way he worked with his employees, you know, and as an employer. That's why it's much more important than just a few statements. And just going back to Lonnie's point about how she doesn't think he cares. She doesn't care. And you know what? At this point, we could care less about Donald Sterling. So I don't care right. if he cares about us or not. The point is, we are taking these views to task. We are taking this level of racism to task. Dealing with this situation publicly and making him own up to these things and taking this as far as we can take this is putting everyone else on notice that those days are gone, baby. Right. And they're not coming back. You know, uh, 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 and... If we in any way gloss over this situation, sweep it on the rug, and we'll get to the discussion whether it's a private conversation or a public conversation, then we're in some deep, scary waters. Mm -hmm. And as a person of color, I could care less. I I, I feel like the, the overt racism that we're seeing in this instance is so easily transferred to an institutional Mm -hmm. level of racism, which we've even seen in his own business practices. That we have to deal with it or now we're really talking about a slippery slope. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, Lauren, we were talking about, you know, when we first heard the NBA ruling, we we're like, that's great. But as lawyers, the lawyer side of us said, are they really going to be able to do that? But then the human side of me said, I don't care. Mm-hmm. We have to do this. We need to set that bar and make it very clear to everyone because everyone's paying attention to this. Say, this is the new standard. You can't be doing this. You're not going to get away with it anymore. We're not going to ignore it. You know, for all the things that were going on in Donald Sterling's life up to this point that people just kept letting him get away with mm-hmm. and let him get away. We're not doing that anymore. We are all standing for this and saying, this is the new standard. You've got to meet it. And if the law's not there yet, maybe we need to push the law to get there. Yes. So. Well, I want people to uh, weigh in on this. So we'll be talking about uh, Donald Sterling again at the end of the show, asking whether his punishment was too little, too much, or just right. So uh, tweet us, let us know, and we'll be sharing some of those opinions at the end of the show. Okay, we've got three cases on the docket that we're going to go through real quick. The first one has to do with a new um, ruling here by the California Fair Sentencing Act, um, which is concerning the possession of cocaine. And this has been going on for many, many years. So there's been a disparity between um, crack cocaine and powder cocaine in the way that it's sentenced, the probation, the asset forfeiture uh, forfeiture guidelines for them. Um, and it's resulted in a pattern of racial discrimination in the sentencing and incarceration here in California. And I started in the DA's office in the late 80s. And we were talking about this way back then. And it's finally, now in 2014, something is actually happening. So Senator Mitchell, who is the chair of the Black Caucus and a member of the Senate Public Safety Committee, says, same crime, same punishment is a basic principle of law in our democratic society. Yet, more black and brown people serve longer sentences for trying to sell cocaine because the law unfairly punishes cheap drug traffic more severely than white-collar version. Well, fair needs to be fair. And so um, 
they're finally saying this needs to be treated equally. It's getting to a certain, it passed the first hurdle in the Senate Committee on Public Safety. It's got to go a little bit further than that. But I'm hoping, um, as one who proc- um, prosecuted these cases for many years and saw how ridiculous it was, and to be honest with you, we tried to, you know, sort of make it a little more fair, but the law was the way the law was. Um, it, it's time for that. So, what are your feelings? Agreed. As a criminal defense attorney, you know, growing my first practice was in the city of Detroit. I represented many young men of color and um, that were dealing with, you know, issues, drug offenses. It's sad because it's so evident when you're in the system, walking through it, when you're representing people, when you are, you know, in the prosecution, you can see it. Yeah. And yet people don't understand when when they talked about this statistic that that blacks make up 6.6 of the California state population, but they accounted for 77.4% mm-hmm. of state prison commitments for crack possession for sale. I mean, those numbers, they're beyond staggering. Yeah. They're almost unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And we're dealing with the same drug with the same effect in the yes. body. Yes. And yet one is the white collar version and then one is what I guess they deem to be the inner city version. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But it's saddening. And again, we're talking about institutional racism. This is a prime example of, of how laws can dis, uh, disproportionately affect mm-hmm. people of color and they need to be changed. And you want to know how I uh, found out about this story and this press release was a new way of life, an organization that I interviewed here on the show that helps to um, reincorporate women who have been imprisoned in California prisons back into society. They sent me this press release because so many of the women who have been imprisoned are in prison under this law, under mm-hmm. this disparity of crack versus powder cocaine. When uh, Carl Douglas came, I, I attended a speech he had two weeks ago about the 20th anniversary of the O.J. Simpson trial. You want to know how he started his speech to kind of get the audience to understand um, what was going on at the time and why that verdict came out the way he did, the first thing he said was the disparity between crack and powdered Mm -hmm. cocaine to help the audience understand the tension between prosecutors and people of color, the tension between Mm -hmm. police and people of color. And this is one of those root issues. And so uh, the fact that the LADA's office has come out in support of this, Mm -hmm. uh, in my mind, means that this is well on its way to being passed because, I mean, if there was a fight from the prosecutor's office, the people who prosecute these crimes every day and say, you know, we, you know, we're putting these people in prison. This is what we don't want to do. They've come out against it. I think that this law will pass. And that shows you how obvious it is. I mean, that it was obvious yeah. to us throughout the years. And, you know, the crazy thing is to to prosecute the crack cocaine cases, you had to bring in an extra witness to prove the crack cocaine. So it was actually even more expensive yeah. to the state to prosecute those cases to get the higher sentence for what? I mean, it didn't even make sense. And so, of course, the DA's office, it doesn't surprise me at all after having been there for 18 years. We didn't like the law then. It wasn't fair then. We mm-hmm. could see even back then the disparity that was, you know, emerging and why based on what there was no logical basis and so many young people going to jail and people don't understand once you get in that prison system it's it's so difficult it's so difficult to then get that second chance in life i mean as a criminal defense attorney truthfully that was my job i i represented so many young people that it made that first 
that first huge error in their life and trying to get them that second chance. Once they go through that system, Mm -hmm. you know, the rehab that we wish went on inside of our jails and prisons, eh, it's not happening. Mm -hmm. So now they're in a culture of criminality and violence where if they could have gotten the second chance that maybe they're uh, you know, a, a, a white counterpart got in a situation, a probation or or, or even not a, a, not even a conviction at all because of the right. law. Imagine, you know, the amount of, I think, success cases we could have found that maybe helped people take their lives to the next level mm-hmm. after making a huge mistake instead of going to prison. And then once you go in that system, it's really hard to rid yourself. With the, you come out, now you got a felony. Mm-hmm. Now you're in a halfway house. Now you got to get a job. How are you going to get a job with a felony? Yeah. Now you don't have a job. It, it, it's it's it a sick look. Oh, mm-hmm. my goodness. Yeah. And you're sitting here going, one error. Yeah. And yet you look at someone that had, you know, another formula of the same. The same thing. The same thing. And they're employed. They're getting a home loan. Mm -hmm. You know, that one mistake they made in life, yes, it cost them a bit, but they're able to overcome. There is just, there's a long-lasting effect that we have to acknowledge. And so I'm really hoping this changes because it can make a huge difference. And not just for the individuals. It's for society. It's for the better of society that everyone gets that chance to be able to be productive and successful. How many children without their father? How many children? Without their father, you know, if, if, if they could have had that second chance, if they could have been sentenced fairly. And yeah. Lauren, you said it's the same drug with the same effect. So then what's the difference? The law says, the, uses the words crack versus powder. You want to know what the words they really mean are? Black versus white. There you go. Because African-Americans... In the 80s, especially when this law came down, we're more likely to use the um, cocaine in the crack form. Mm -hmm. White people were more likely to use it in powder form. That is the only difference. Well, you know, it's it's kind of interesting and almost ironic in the sense because, you know, as lawyers, we often have to tell people, you know, laws are not black and white. This one is. Yeah. You know what I mean? This one is. Exactly. In the sickest kind of way. This law is black and white. And, you know... it's obvious. There's mm-hmm. no other way to explain it. It's right there in the numbers. I mean, it's yep. so clear. Yeah, yeah, I want to read one last number before we go on this story because okay. it's just shocking to me. African Americans are in prison for possession of cocaine uh, based for sale at a rate of 43.25 times that of whites. 43 times more than whites. Yeah. And that's 43 times more individuals affected, mm-hmm. families affected, communities affected, yeah. and futures affected. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, a lot the, of damage. The truth is right there in the numbers. All right. Let's hope it's all hope for that one. And, and really, we need to talk about it, make sure people know about it, because it's, it's important for them to know. All right. The next case. This is a real tragedy that's becoming even bigger. In, in It's um, sad for everyone. So in um, October 28th of 2012, there were three young teenage guys, 17 and, and two 16-year-olds, that were riding their bikes home after getting a bite to eat. Um, and there wasn't a lot of good visibility. And they were riding their bikes abreast. So they were all going down the street together. And there was a woman driving her car who came up behind them. And due to what the police said was poor visibility and because the bikers were all riding out, out 
along, you know, abreast each other. She hit them, and she ended up killing one of them, injuring another one, and then the third one ended up being okay. Um, and the police came and investigated. They said the driver was going about 55 in, in a 50-mile-an-hour zone, that she was not at fault, there was no intoxication, and they attributed it to the lack of visibility and the formation of the bikers. So time goes on, and then this last December, the driver, Simon, has filed a $1.35 million lawsuit against the estate of the young man who was killed, who died. And she's su- and the other uh, two bike- bicyclists, f- and she's suing for pain and suffering. Um, and everyone's very shocked about this. I mean, the driver's saying she's had a lot of anxiety, depression, irritability, and post-traumatic stress over this. Um, and meanwhile, the family, especially the family of the young boy who died, they're shocked. And the mother said, she killed my child, and now she wants to profit from it. Um, so now the family has countersued the driver for $900,000. And they're saying now, well, she was speeding. She was either under the influence or she was texting. Something was going on. She should have been able to avoid this accident. And they're getting a lot of public support. There is a petition. There are 4,000, over 4,000 people have signed, um, urging the police to investigate further and perhaps try and file charges against this driver. So talk about taking a tragedy and making it 10 times worse. You know, what... Why in the world do you think that this driver decided to, to sue? Why would an attorney even take that lawsuit? Do you think there's any basis to either of these lawsuits? Look, I, I, when I read this, I said to myself, wow, you've been suffering anxiety and you've been very depressed. And that's your legal justification for a lawsuit. Ma'am, you've also been taking a lot of breaths. Which yeah. that young man will never, ever do again. I think these are the, you know, you know, oftentimes as lawyers, you know, I used to uh, laugh a lot with Nancy Grace and say, you know, I'm a defense attorney or I'm an attorney. Don't make me look like Satan's sidekick because I have to, <laughs> you know, represent someone or use the law to 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 represent someone on an unpopular in an unpopular position. This right here. Satan's sidekick. I'm sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is just not the instance to do this. And now this lawyer, by entertaining this and giving this, making this client seem like this has a leg to stand on, you've opened up a new can of worms. Yes. Because now yep. they're countersuing you. Mm-hmm. And now when it had been ruled an accident, a tragic, yep. now you're opening up something new that's going to make people maybe further investigate. And now you may be mm-hmm. held liable. I think this is just one of those situations where... Let the tragedy be exactly what it is. Count your blessings Mm -hmm. that you were alive. Give your condolences, your heartfelt remorse to the family and leave it alone. To suggest that they owe you something after you killed their child. Then you know what? It takes me back to, okay, there wasn't just one kid on a bike. There were three. Mm-hmm. You're driving and you don't see three kids. You see, I mean, once you start telling me you, I owe you something. Well, wait a minute now. I believed you that it was a tragedy and it was an accident, but now let me think further. That's right. You didn't see three kids on a bike, on bikes, right in front of you? And, you know, you said her pain and suffering, and what about the child who has no breath to take anymore? What about the parents? I mean, when they read this lawsuit... (laughs) 
and they see in the complaint, oh, you know, I have anxiety, I have depression. What about the mother Mm -hmm. who lost her teenage son? She must have been flipping through this complaint saying, you have anxiety? Mm -hmm. Yes. You're depressed? You can't sleep at night? What about me? A lot of nerve. So, yeah, it's it's a lot of nerve to sue. And it was interesting to me, normally the progression, I wouldn't have been surprised if... They had sued right. first. The victim's family. The victim's had sued. family That's sued first. That That's yeah. what happens. Right. Exactly. And then yeah. she responds and yeah. says, as counter Susan says, "What about me?" Or the victim's family sues first, but then the recovery is, um, you know, decreased by contributory negligence, if that is in fact in that state. Uh, by the fact that, oh, you caused this accident, but we can't recover as much because it was partly my own son's mm-hmm, fault to blame because mm-hmm. he didn't have, you know, lights or reflectors on his bike that night. That is the normal progression. Right. That would have been a story that we wouldn't even talked about on this show because that's, you know, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if the family right. sued mm-hmm. and then she raised these issues. Mm-hmm. But the fact that she had the audacity to sue yeah. first, in yeah. my mind... Audacity. Yeah. Yeah, she... She's getting all that she deserves right now between the petition, the investigation that's going to be opened up, and the countersuit. Yeah. Like you said, Lauren, she should have been saying, I'm sorry. Yes. I am so sorry for she what I did. She made her bed now. She yeah. can lay in. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And starting a foundation in the child's exactly. name. Exactly. You know, come yeah. on. Yeah. And being grateful that they didn't file criminal charges. Absolutely. Yeah. But, oh, well. All right. She's opened a can of worms for herself. All right. Last story. Rihanna. We all love Rihanna. And she, you know, likes to talk honestly, and we all know that she's a pretty open gal. However, her former bodyguard is now suing her for defamation. Um, he filed the lawsuit in Ireland, which is really interesting because that's a long ways away. But um, he said that Rihanna made, quote, nauseatingly offensive, end quote, and false statements about him in an email to him and his partner and then that these um, offensive statements were also made in a phone call to his sister. And so now he's um, filing and he's saying that the remarks have gravely injured his reputation and business, which is interesting because, it, you know, there's really just two family members and his partner. Right. So. I'll, I'll prove it. That's, yeah. that's, as soon as yeah. you say that, I just say prove it. How? Yeah. How How have you been ruined? Yeah. How do you have damages? Yeah. Who, I, who's hearing it? Who, yeah, has, who heard your partner and your sister? Well, well they are... You know, has your partner now wanted to sever the relationship and right. no longer wants to do business with you? What what effect has this had on your your life or your profession? I don't see it. When I read lawsuits like this uh, against, be it Rihanna, uh, Beyonce, I, wa- I want to <laughs> talk about a lawsuit that I heard about this morning on the radio when I was driving. A man who's currently in prison is actually suing yes. Beyonce and Jay-Z, claiming that they have used the CIA to wiretap his cell to steal his rap lyrics for their own songs. Oh, that's so, <laughs> 3,000 songs. And he's also said his co-conspirators like Usher and some other people, you oh. know, that they're all in on this together. Because, of course, they can't come up with it themselves. I oh, need no. to get and Homeland Security is also helping out too by and, and you want to know why that ridiculous <laughs> lawsuit reminds me of this lawsuit that's on the docket here is because they're so frivolous and ridiculous that to these people we see the name Beyonce we see the name Rihanna they see a money sign mm-hmm. they see a dollar sign they see someone that they could profit off of possibly through a lawsuit and if not through a lawsuit you want to know why they sue these celebrities because these celebrities don't want to be given depositions yeah. uh, because <laughs> depositions can be bad for yes. celebrities Paula yes. Dean yes. Justin Bieber we've talked about on the show so a lot of them just think 
it's easier just to settle. I know it's a meritless suit, but I'm going to settle because I don't want it in the public anymore. And then they get richer. So that's why they do this for money. Yeah, it's sad, though. I mean, attorneys should have some level of, you know, integrity and not file these lawsuits. Absolutely. (laughs) So, uh, finally, we're going to go to tipping the scales. Uh, as I plugged earlier in the show, the question for this week that we want you to weigh on in on is, was Donald Sterling's punishment too much, too little, or just right? The It was interesting because I read a CNN op-ed by a First Amendment attorney this week who says he thinks the punishment was too harsh. He says, you mentioned earlier in the show, you talked about Paula Dean, and I said the difference between Paula Dean and her racist statements and Donald Sterling's racist statements is she made those on, on the record, so essentially, you know, public, and he made these in a private conversation. So this First Amendment attorney said, first of all, what this woman did is possibly illegal if he didn't know he was being recorded, and now he's going to be the one to be punished for it, uh, you know, kind of talking about this was his First Amendment right to have a private conversation, and now he's being punished for it, and he doesn't think that sets the right precedent. He thinks this was too harsh of a punishment. Okay, this is crazy, but go with me on this. <laughs> Look, this is a crazy thought, but this is, ex- this is exactly what I thought when I heard this. Okay, remember when everybody said Whoopi Goldberg should have gotten the Oscar for Color Purple? Mm-hmm. And then she should have gotten another, there was other, some great movie, and then she ended up getting it for Ghost, Ghost. right? Yes. Where everybody was kind of like, it's a it, makeup. It yeah. was good, but it, right. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes that makeup comes in the darndest way, yeah. and I feel like you know, whether this was a private conversation that there was a legal right to to, to record or, or it was a mutual agreement or not, all those years, 2003, I mean, I got it here on the list, 2009, mm-hmm. all the, I don't want black people in my apartment. Mm-hmm. In one of the lawsuits, it was alleged that this man would have people of color sign in as guests to their own residence. Yeah. That they were paying rent for. Sometimes he would even not take the rent from them and then accuse them of non-payment of rent. I'm talking about years and years. So he can evict them. Years and years of racist practices. Years and years of that money, cutting that check, you know, on all the lawsuits, make it go away. Isn't it almost grand, you know, (laughs) that here we have this private conversation that, look, may or may not, you know, uh, have the right to be public. He'll have to deal with that later because it's out now, baby. And now you've lost potentially one of your largest assets, something that I'm sure you're proud to own, something that I'm sure you've worked for that means something to you. Whether it's $700 million you get or not, it might get taken from you. And that's something you have to deal with. For me, justice served. (laughs) You know, I mean, years and years getting away with it, and then now, not so much. I I think it's just one of those moments where, you know, maybe it is a makeup. Well, you know, know, and a lot of times you say the punishment doesn't fit the crime or the acts or whatever. And and I have to say, I agree with Lauren. I think in this case it does. I don't even know if it's a makeup. I mean, people, like I said before, will say these are just statements. They're not just statements. they're, They're indicative of what he has been as a man. And in the past, when people have tried to punish him, they find him and this or that, but he's always been able to maintain his denial. Yep. They've never forced him to actually admit it and say, yes, you were doing this. He just pays the money and it's done. So here 
here, it's out there. People aren't accepting his denial anymore. First, I think that's very just. Yes. The second thing is the Clippers are something different besides just money. It is it is a possession for him. It is something more than money. It's something he's proud of. It's yep. something he likes to go and be seen. It makes him relevant mm-hmm. in people's minds, which yes. is a narcissistic, you know, very wealthy person. That's a, a great thing for him. So I think it's actually going to affect him as opposed to just having to write a check and walk off. I think it's right. a very just punishment for what happened. So do I. And 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 that's what I'm I'm saying. It's like you, you, years and years where these racist beliefs have been. Really, the basis of the way that you have hired, the way you run mm-hmm. your organization, the way you've allowed people or not allowed people into your real estate mm-hmm. uh, 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 holdings, whatever. And now, a private conversation with a mistress slash fixture in your business, we don't know, <laughs> has led to this much, you know, uh, uh, like uh, this much recourse, this much, you know... Uh, I don't know. I just love it in a way. I hate to, I hate to, I hate to almost like laugh at someone's pain, but you know, for a, for a lawyer, when you think about the mm-hmm. years these lawyers have combed through facts trying mm-hmm. to get this guy, because they know he's being discriminatory against people of color. You know it. Yeah. You can taste it. And yet, he cuts the check, and like you said, Lonnie, all these years has never had to own up to That's it. That's right. It just goes away. And they know it's going on, but we just can't get him. I mean, even look with Elgin, uh, Elgin Baylor. I mean, the fact that he even had to drop the race, uh, the, uh, the race discrimination portion of his suit. That's right. Before because, trial. Before trial. Yeah. I mean, imagine what he felt uh, like. Yeah. You know, for years and years and years. And now, in this crazy, quirky moment, he's on tape in this new age way of living that we're in mm-hmm. now. You know, where you mm-hmm. can't even like, you know, I told Lonnie, adjust your dress in public without looking like you're doing something inappropriate. In some crazy way, it, it is, it's just so fulfilling. <laughs> and the other interesting thing is, too, I don't think the tape in and of itself would have done it. It's like a perfect storm of everything yes. coming together. The Clippers are out there. They're in the final the playoffs. Yes. yes. There's a lot of people, you know, pushing for them, loving them right now. You know, then you find out about all the background. As it all came together, it yes. was Magic Johnson that she was with, who's yes. so beloved. We all love him. How could you say that about Magic of all, you know, it was just, it, it all came together in the perfect way and ended up in, with something extraordinary. I, I would say, as attorneys, we would say it's an extraordinary extraordinary outcome. Oh, no, it is. And, and then just to hear him say, can you just not be bringing black people? Yeah. <laughs> this is insane. There's black people everywhere on the court. Yeah. There's black. We're everywhere, Donald. No. How are you even saying? I mean, you know, this is almost what's so sick about it. Yeah. Is that you think you, you felt in your mind that you were entitled Look, to tell a black woman that she can't bring a black person to a game, um, ding dong, idiot, I'm black. You brought me to the game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Come on. It's just like ridiculous. Yeah. He well, deserves it. Okay. Well, I want to read some uh, Twitter opinions. Mostly people agree with you. Joanne Miller said, quote, Wikipedia was replete with information on his past behavior, so no one should be surprised. Money can't buy you a good heart. Uh, DJ Simmons said that one attorney is wrong. Hashtag justice was served. But some people think the punishment was too much. Um, Shade uh, says that uh, what laws has he broken? This stuff is so silly. That's his opinion. I think, like you guys said, this was a house of cards, 
and the cards have fallen. Mm -hmm. And I think that he got exactly what he deserved. Justice was served. (laughs) Thank you, everyone, for watching our show today. Tweet us. Reach out to us. At Mari Fagel. Lonnie Coombs. And uh, Lauren, let our viewers know how they can reach out to you and let you know uh, their opinions. You have and, some great opinions, so I'm sure they'll have a lot to say. Lake E-N-T for Lauren Lake Enterprises or at Paternity Court. And watch well, her on Paternity Court. Yes, yeah. please do. Thank yes. you, Lonnie. Yes. Watch Paternity Court. Reach out to Lauren, me, and Lonnie, and thank you so much. And join us same time, same place next week. From producers Maria Menounos, Dario Kristen, Tiana Hobson, Kevin Undergaro, and the entire BHL crew, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live, the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us at info at blackhollywoodlive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I'm your BHL announcer, Scipio. Instagram me at Planet Scipio. Thank you for tuning in. The views expressed here are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.